Good morning. I want to let you in on something about me that many of you probably don't know. I struggle to have sympathy for people when they get sick. Now, I'm not talking about serious sickness. I'm talking stomach bugs, run-of-the-mill, colds, uh, other issues when you're just feeling upset. I'm, I'm a person who rarely gets sick, so I don't quite know at times what to do with people who do, and I'm never quite sure what the proper response is. My wife knows this firsthand. When we lived in Dallas, I uh, remember one night she got as sick as a dog. I was aware that this was happening, but I didn't bother at all to check on her or ask how I could help. I just continued to snooze on through the night. The next morning, I woke to an angry wife. She was upset, to say the least, that I didn't have the proper response to her uh, sickness or at least the decency to come check on her. Uh, I've gotten better about it, I promise. She wanted me to assure you that I have in our marriage. (laughs) You can ask her that, but sometimes I still don't quite know what to do. Life, you see, is full of moments when we're prompted to respond. Losing that friend you've had for years, bringing a baby into the world or losing one. Engagements, weddings, divorces, funerals, winning that cross-country meet or baseball tournament getting a promotion, or getting fired. Whatever the circumstances are, we respond with our emotions and our actions. Oftentimes, these things require proper responses, tears of sadness or joy, laughter, shouts of anger or happiness, hugs, and long moments of silence. Today, I want to talk about the proper response to God's actions in our lives. And really, in one scenario, God's wrath. What is the proper response to God's wrath? Now, before we get into things, let me plainly say three things up front to clarify what I mean by wrath. One, if you are in Christ, God smiles upon you. He loves you because he loves his son. You are beloved, and if you continue the course, God will receive you into eternal life and communion with him in the final judgment. Two, however, and this doesn't mean, this doesn't mean though, that we still can't undergo God's direct wrath in the way that I like to put it, the way that God has baked things into the system of the universe. Sin always has live consequences, no matter if you're in Christ or not, no matter if you're blind to them or not. To quote Timothy Keller in his book on Jonah, the Bible does not say that every difficulty is the result of sin, but it does teach that every sin will bring you into difficulty, end quote, of varying degrees. And three, although some people frown upon the notion of a God of wrath or judgment, it should be something that we want and something that's comforting to us. I tell the teens this all the time, I refuse to worship a God who shrugs his shoulders at the suffering and the wickedness of humanity and who remains indifferent. I believe in a God who holds all humans accountable because of his great love for us. And it reminds me that I don't need to do it all as I fight for justice. God will one day make all things right. His wrath emanates from his love and that is one of the best pieces of news that we can hear today. 
I hope those three things clarify what I begin, uh, what I mean for us before we begin to talk about responding to God's wrath. And we're going to unpack more of that as we go on. But I wanted to state that up front as we head into the rest of Jonah 1. Eric did a great job leading us off last week and finished his section on a cliffhanger. Jonah was fleeing the presence of the Lord by boat. That act of Jonah has God respond to him and brings his wrath upon him and the hapless sailors that are with him. And today we're going to look at his actions and contrast them with the actions of the sailors because that's what the author wants us to focus on. We're going to unpack theologically what's going on here by contrasting Jonah and the sailors, and we will unfold that more as we go, the proper response to God's wrath. So again, my question for us today before we dive in to our Bibles is this, what is the proper response to God's wrath? Let's find out. Read along with me, starting in verse 4. Again, we're in the book of Jonah, starting in verse 4. Open your Bibles with me today. And what I'm going to do is read and comment along as I go and tease out things that I believe the narrator wants us to see. Jonah 1, 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship threatened to break up. So God, in response to Jonah, hurls a great wind upon the sea. This, this word here of hurling is often used in battle imagery of throwing a spear so here God says, you want to do that move? I'll move with this great wind and tempest upon the sea, an act of divine judgment in other texts this storm is. So the ship threatened to break up, and the author here is personifying the ship. You can imagine the ship with big eyes just, just wanting to break and crack, and yet it's not doing it as the waves beat against it. Then... The mariners were afraid, and each one cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship to go into the sea to lighten it for them. And again, so we see that God hurled the wind, God, and then these sailors begin to hurl the cargo overboard to lighten it. But Jonah, right, anytime you see but, it's one of the greatest words in the Bible. Something's going on there. But Jonah, our author says, had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So here's Jonah, while this is all going on, he's down into the bottom part of the ship. He's gone down in the depths of the ship. The bowels of the ship would be close to what the Hebrew is going there. And he is asleep and laying down. And again, if, if we had movie cameras in these days, you could imagine our narrators painting this picture of the scene moving from the heavens and the hurling of the great wind, and then the waters, and then the ship, and then the sailors, and then as it's descending down, 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 we have Jonah in the bowels of the ship, asleep. Jonah, as he's run away, has gone down, down, down into the furthest part away from God that he can get. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise. Call out to your God. Again, this is the same word that was used for Jonah when God called out to him. Arise, go to Nineveh and cry out against it. Arise. This, this, this sailor is coming to him and using the same language that God did. Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. A couple things to point out here is that these sailors are crying out to their God. Doing something. Again, in contrast to Jonah who's asleep, 
in the bowels of the ship. As, as God's wrath visits, Jonah is asleep and the sailors are actually doing something about it, crying out to God's and hurling cargo overboard. And there's Jonah. Again, the text kind of implies that as they're taking off the cargo, they all of a sudden find Jonah, who's in the cargo, with the cargo, just symbolizing that he is a useless piece on this ship right now. And he can be hurled. And the sailors come and correct him and say, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. The sailors are actually doing something about it, and Jonah isn't. What are we to make of that? Well, one, we see first that when we have sin in our own lives, others may feel the consequences of that. Again, we could say to one degree or another, sin always has a storm attached to it. And here we are, Jonah, who is fleeing from the presence of the Lord, is bringing the downfall of the people on the boat with him. And yet he's just asleep. They're seeking the common good, the sailors are, of the ship and of the people. They come and investigate and ask Jonah, what is going on? Cry out to your God. And he's doing nothing. Sin always has a storm attached to it and we need to find it out sometimes. I've told you about my time when I was living in a place that we called the fort. Away uh, from my parents' home at 18, I moved out into this house with five other guys. We were Christian guys. We moved into this big house. Uh, We called it the fort. We would have parties every weekend, clean parties, lame parties, but, you know, fun. Um, I can't help but remember that season in my life and also think of the book of Jonah because I slept in the basement. And so every night... I descended down into the basement to sleep. Sometimes it would flood up to like within a few feet of my bed. But anyways, that's besides the point. It wasn't a finished basement. Um, And I can't help but also notice though, although we had a great, it only lasted for eight months. And I think that was God's grace upon us. (laughs) Um, I had a great time, but, but it was also one of the lowest points in my life as well. And I think back on that and thinking of descending to the basement, that was very indicative of where I was at. Superficially, I seemed okay. But below the surface, I was in the bowels. When it comes to God's wrath, when it comes to figuring out maybe if there's a storm attached to it again, not all difficulty is because of our sin. The book of Jonah disproves that. But sin always has a storm, so to speak, attached to it. Maybe we can ask the question in our lives and say, if there's a storm around me, for instance, in my marriage, with my friends, job, my kids aren't doing well, it's okay and fair and good and noble and honorable to ask, am I to blame? I pray that we would do that more often. I pray that we would acknowledge what God is doing in our lives. The proper, responding properly to God's wrath 
Respond to it by first acknowledging it. The sailors did that, and Jonah was just asleep. Are you asleep in your life? Or are we willing to acknowledge what's going on around us? Respond properly to God's wrath by acknowledging it. That's the first point. The second point we're going to look at after we unpack the verses 7 through 11. Read with me. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Again, an acceptable thing in Israelite religion, this divination of sorts, the casting of lots, we also see in the New Testament. They, they, they probably took some stones and had some markings to identify each person and kind of cast the lot, and boom, it was Jonah. They said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and what people are you? They give him the 20 questions, which, by the way, if you ever had that little 20 questions game, that thing was freaky good. So, anyways, as a kid, I was always just flabbergasted by that. They ask him all these questions. What people are you? Here's what Jonah says. And the irony is thick here. I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Let the spiritual deadness sink in here for a second. Jonah has fleed the presence of the Lord. He's, 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 he's trying to get away by land and sea. And yet he says before these sailors, I fear the Lord, the God who made all of this, the heavens and the sea and the dry land. And you can just imagine the sailors' jaws just kind of dropping, right? The narrator's painting this picture for us, contrasting, again, the, sa- the, the, the sailors and Jonah. And they continue to figure things out, to discern what's going on. And here we have Jonah, who seems to be spiritually dead, and spiritually dead to God's sovereignty. Again, he tried to flee the presence of the Lord, and yet, here we go, he says at least... In knowledge, well, I think God made all this. And yet here he is trying to flee the presence of the Lord. The the wind is conspiring against him. The ship and the waters and everything like that. The sailors, all of creation is conspiring against him that Jonah, at face value, believes God created. And yet here he is, dead to that reality. Verse 10, the men were exceedingly afraid And said to him, what is this that you have done? And we have, again, our narrators creating these gaps in knowledge, right? We just know that Jonah went down to Tarshish and, you know, got on the boat. And now we have a piece of knowledge filled in here by the narrator. The men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And so now they're asking, what is this? What have you you done? They're shaking their heads at him. Again, They're trying to figure out what's going on, and Jonah is dead. Another application point from this section is is this. Psalm 139, when it comes to figuring out what's going on, we need to ask for discernment. I was reminded of this last night by an older saint who I really appreciate. Search me, O God, Psalm 139, 23 and 24. And know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there's any grievous way in me. And lead me 
and the way everlasting. When it comes to responding to God's wrath, we have to discern what's going on. We have to figure that out and ask God what we need to respond to. And here's the other thing too. Ask others as well. One of the scariest things you can do to um, yourself in, in, in any relationship with, again, a spouse maybe, a friend, your kids, whatever it might be, is to ask if there seems to be something going on. Have I done anything? Have I screwed up? Have I, have I sinned against you? Have I, have I messed up? That's, that's a scary thing to ask. It's a scary thing to ask, what can I improve upon? What, what sins have I committed against someone? Because that might require our repentance. That might require changing our lives and doing things differently. And yet it is scary to ask those questions. Again, looking back at the fort for myself when I lived there. I wish we would have had more discernment as to what was actually happening in our midst. We were so caught up in all the fun we were having. And yet, I would say not only just me being at a spiritual pit in my life, that that was the case for many of the men around them. And even though we started out with five of us, by the time I left, there were only three and left because of broken relationships. And it really signaled that it wasn't all it was cracked up to be. We have to ask ourselves, what's going on? Search me, God. Help me see. And we ask others, as scary as that might be. Again, our author is telling us that Jonah is not the one to emulate here. It's the sailors. And the final, the crescendo of the passage leads us there. Read with me verses 11 through 16. Again, responding properly to God's wrath by acknowledging it and discerning it. Discerning what might be causing the storm. Verse 11. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea and the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. So again, we have that word hurl there. Jonah says, you know what? We'll fix it. Toss me overboard. Hurl me into the sea. Throw me out just like you did the cargo. But again, contrasting the sailors, verse 13 just lays it out. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. It's a fun word. So even though Jonah suggested, really, in this scenario with this roaring wave and sea throwing him overboard and probably killing him, the men are upstanding. They try to row back and say, we don't want that. At least we can try and get back to dry land first. And they can't, again, because God is conspiring against them to bring judgment upon Jonah for, fl- for, for, for fleeing from him. Therefore, they called out to the Lord. Did Jonah? No. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, and here they are finally using God's covenant name, Yahweh. They called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life 
and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. A hint narratively as to what's coming at the end of the book. So they picked up Jonah, and they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So again, some things to point out here is they still tried to spare Jonah. Even when Jonah suggested, just throw me overboard, they still tried to spare him. Their character is outstanding. Jonah doesn't cry out to Yahweh. They do. And then afterwards, they fear God exceedingly, it says. And they offer a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And it was typical in, in ports to and from to offer sacrifices to the gods. And here they are now doing that after this because the sea had ceased from its raging. So they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. They cried out. They feared. They sacrificed. They vowed. And here's Jonah, that useless piece of cargo, just being tossed overboard. A thing to point out here is that fearing God is more than just acknowledgement of God. Jonah acknowledged that God made the, the heavens and the land and the sea and dry, uh, dry land and the sea. He acknowledged that. But clearly, that had no real impact. There was no actual fear of God's wrath in this moment. No acknowledgement of it. It's a reminder for us to ask in our just lives in general, am I at a surface level just acknowledging God and his existence? Or do I actually have reverence for him? Do I actually fear him? Consider him and the weightiness that he has in my life. Or is it just something that I do on Sunday mornings? Something that I do on Wednesday nights? Fearing God is more than acknowledgement. And again, the sailors are highlighted here by a narrator to say, they actually feared God and Jonah didn't. They responded properly. So again, responding properly to God's Wrath by acknowledging, discerning, and fearing it is what we are to do. Again, I look back on that time in the fort, and I would say it while it was a crazy eight months that I lived there, and that I was in a spiritual spit, uh, pit, so to speak, a lot of the things that happened there have taught me to fear God more to actually have a reverence and a holy weight towards who he is. Some of the bad choices that I made when I lived there, I made a vow, tru truly, genuinely, to never do again. Some of the things that, some of the ways that I acted when I was there towards the guys that I lived with or towards the people who came over, I vowed to never do again. When we go through difficulties, when we go through pits, when we go through storms, whatever it might be, the reaction to respond properly is not to just come out and be like, came on through that one, huh? It should change us. God does not just bring judgment upon us for nothing. 
We should come up out of the pit and experience, so to speak, salvation through that judgment. One of the greatest themes in the Bible is God bringing salvation through judgment. I pray that in the difficulties that we have, when God visits his wrath upon us, that we would not just revert back to where we were, but that we would be, in a sense, closer to who Christ was because of it. It's for our teaching. It's for our betterment. And I pray that when we're going through difficult things, again, and not every difficulty is a result of sin. Get that clear in your head. If you believe that, that God is just walking around trying to find you and smite you for all the sins that you're committing. Not every difficulty, if your life is difficult because of that, it, it, not, sorry, it, you, your life is not difficult because of that. God loves you and cherishes you, but the sins that you commit always have consequences, live consequences, and God is just to deal with us. But at the final day, if you are in Christ, you are not under judgment any longer. You enter eternal communion with him. So again, how do we respond properly? What do we, how do we respond properly to God's wrath? We acknowledge it. We discern the sin that could be causing the storm. And we respond by fearing him. Properly respond to God's wrath by acknowledging it, discerning what's going on, and fearing him. What I want to do for my last movement and before I lead us in a time of prayer is just tie this um, to maybe something that you haven't realized before in the Gospels. And that's Jesus in three of the Gospel accounts going on the lake and sleeping on the boat. And when we see those gospel accounts of Jesus doing that, we should think of Jonah. That's very intentional. But we should not necessarily look for just the similarities, but the dissimilarities, what's different there. Jesus is asleep not because he's just a dead weight. Jesus is asleep because of his confidence in God. When they wake him up, the disciples do, he says, oh, 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 you have little faith. What, you know, what's going on? What's wrong? And then instead of Yahweh quieting the sea in Jonah, Jesus rebukes the sea and the wind and the waves and quiets it. And the disciples say, who then is this man? And part of that confidence was the determination that Jesus was going to go to the cross and give us salvation through judgment. And so my question for you today here is this. Where do you stand with Christ? Do you believe that he brought you salvation all those years ago? Maybe you do. Maybe you've acknowledged it. But does your life actually show the fear Does your life actually show the repentance that that requires? I pray that we would sit and think of Jesus and how he brought us salvation 
through judgment. And I would ask for you to consider repenting and receiving the salvation that Jesus bought for you. Because it is a good thing that we have a just God who will deal with all the wickedness, all the sin, all the brokenness of humanity one day. But that wrath can fall upon us if we're not in Christ. And I pray, because again, we don't use the word sin much these days, but it's a category that we still need to have for all the things that we see in life, for the ways that we hurt God and the way that we hurt others. And not one of us, part of the gospel is saying that we are more loved than we could ever possibly imagine. I'm quote paraphrasing Tim Keller here again. We're more loved than we could ever possibly imagine, but yes, we are also more sinful than we ever even know. And I pray that we respond to Jesus in bringing salvation through judgment. Again, we're reading an Old Testament passage. How did I get to Jesus? Because the parallels are there in the Old Test, or sorry, in the New Testament. And we come not as a Jewish congregation, we come as a Christian congregation to proclaim the good news of Jesus and the salvation that he brought. May we never forget that. Repent and receive the salvation that Jesus bought for you. And remember this too, contrasting the sailors with us, with, with Jonah rather. For us as the church, it's a reminder to us that God bestows common grace to all. That means that just as we can do good things, so can those that are not in Christ do good things. God gives his common grace to everyone. He causes the rain and the sun to fall on both the wicked and the just. And here's the thing to remember. As I, I see in broad, um, in broad ways, through the SBC abuse scandals, through high-profile Christians um, falling, and through all kinds of just um, hard things to witness, the church's reputation is not great right now. And that hurts me, that stings me, that shames me. And I wish it were not so, and I pray against it for, here at us, for us here at CCF. But let us not forget that God's common grace is given to all. And just like these sailors rebuke Jonah, that we can receive correction and rebuke from those that are even outside the church. Because again, the power of culture is that it's invisible. And we all have our own culture that needs to be seen and pointed out. And sometimes we can't see it ourselves and others need to point it out to us. Remember that in your own life. You may have a non-Christian boss, friend, um, whatever it might be in your life who's called you out on something. Don't just get angry and pouty about it. Discern whether it's actually the case or not and change your life because of it. Because you can change by the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, as Christians, we come not here just as people who have nothing on our side. We know that God brings the ultimate victory someday. And that in the meantime, we are an outpost of that future eternal city here and now by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we can change. We can discern what's going on in our lives 
and we can see us be in right relationship with God the Father. And I pray that we do that today. Again, properly respond to God's wrath by acknowledging it, discerning what's going on, and fearing him, and ask the Jesus question. Where am I at with him? And how can I see other people correct me and rebuke me in my life for my better? I want to pray right now as we close for a few things. Again, you've heard that VBA is this week. That's a big week. I'm sure many of you are involved in some way. I want to pray for VBA and the kids that are going to come, that we would see them believe the good news of the gospel. I want to pray for the volunteers and the leaders and everybody involved. It would be just a fantastic, incredible week. I also want to pray for our teens that are heading to Denver. We head to Denver a week from today. And generally, we've done a, a commissioning ceremony, but for a number of reasons, we're not doing that. But I wanted to pray for that team that's going, myself included, with my wife and three other adults and 17 years. We're going to Denver. We need prayer. <laughs> and then I also want to pray for our nation, given the news that came out on Friday about the overturning uh, through the judicial precedent on, set on Friday for overturning Roe v. Wade. I want to pray for our nation and the division that is happening right now. So I want to pray for those three things, VBA, the Denver trip, and our nation. I pray that you'd bow with me right now. Our Father, we want to properly respond to who you are. You're the God who made everything so, so other and, and far off, yet you are our Father. You're close enough, enough for us to call you Father. You're a God of love, who visits wrath upon the wickedness of humanity. May we take your name seriously as we receive the discipline you give us. May we respond to your wrath properly by acknowledging it, discerning our errors, and fearing you well. May we go out today from this time of worship remembering that. And we pray that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And today we pray for our church that your will would be done through VBA and for our Denver, our Denver trip. I pray that VBA would brightly and boldly proclaim the gospel to our kids to, and to those that don't yet who know that good news. Your son Jesus, may you strengthen, uphold, energize, edify, and guide the VBA volunteers this week. May they all come and go safely. May hearts be softened and ears be open to receive your gospel. I pray too for our trip to Denver, that our teens' lives would be forever changed by it, that the adults going would support and love well on the trip, that we would be safe as we take to the air and drive in unfamiliar places. May you also sustain the Leader Treks team that we'll be working with. May they be at their best for us, or at least have you meet them where they need you. Give us all grace in these, in these efforts the bread that we need today. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. If there's any verse our nation needs right now, that right now, it may be that. Father, we pray for healing in our nation as it is divided by the decision on Friday from the Supreme Court 
that overturned the precedent set by Roe v. Wade nearly 50 years ago. We boldly proclaim, Father, that you are pro-life and that Christians should be true too, in the best sense of it, though. We should be pro-life for the unborn and for the mothers who find themselves in difficult situations, for the widows, for the orphans, the elderly, the weak, and the disenfranchised in society. We pray that we are not tempted to now just sit back, but instead move to action because there is much work to be done, a lot more, and we need healing in our nation. I pray that as vessels of the Holy Spirit, we would do that. We pray that you would deliver us from the evil one, that his hands would be tied as we move forward as a nation. We pray that his hands would be bound as we orchestrate VBA this week. We pray that his hands would be stayed as we travel to Denver. Father, ultimately we know that you win, that we are victorious because of your son, Jesus. His name is great and mighty. His victory is sure. sure. And let us now sing of the glorious grace we have received. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.